1: Hey folks, welcome into On to Waveland presented by Tops. Check out Tops Project Seventy, celebrating seventy years of Tops baseball cards. I am Brett Taylor, joined by Sahadev Sharma and Patrick Mooney. This is uh, it's the Cubs podcast here at the Athletic, which means we get to talk about the fact that the Cubs are up one nothing in the World Series after one batter. We the, the Cubs get credit for that, right? <laughs>
2: yeah.
1: Yeah. Well, they're the
2: last. Uh, everybody's saying this is the first time a player has led off a World Series game with a home run, and I, I think Cubs fans know that's not true. It's I think it's led off game right. one it's, of it's the World Series. Off, people are leaving that. Yeah, little, he's the
1: first to lead yeah. off the World Series, the World full stop Series with a home run. Yeah, but I did love that was a great excuse to be reminded, to be pedantic, and remind people that no, actually, <laughs> that did happen five years ago. Of course, Dexter Fowler in Game 7, uh, twenty sixteen. Uh, with his spin pirouette at first base, oh, it, I get to see, I still get chills just just thinking about it. <laughs> uh, uh, but otherwise, I, I
2: barely remember the the spin pirouette, but I, I do remember uh, thinking, I, I do remember having uh, some concern that. Oh no, is that going to be the Cubs version of Devin
1: Hester returning the, the kickoff for a touchdown?
3: <laughs> oh man.
1: You know, it is funny, not that this, we're not going to turn this into a Game 7 podcast five years later, but um, <laughs> what's funny is, of course, we Cubs fans watching it all felt that like the panic as the game got tight late. And uh, certainly the Rajai Davis home run. And I mean, all of that, like, of course, we had obvious feelings about that. But I got to tell you, for like seven innings after the Fowler home run, I and everyone I was with, Cubs fans I've talked to later about it, we all felt like, oh, wow, this is in hand. They're really going to do this. And like, that's such a weird way to be for a. Cubs fan in that moment to not feel like, wow, the rug is going to get pulled out from under us. And it, even, even after the Davis home run, I wasn't feeling like, wow, this is how it ends. I was like, oh crap, this is tied. I'm really nervous again. Uh, and so I was just reflecting on that. That's, it's interesting that I would have thought that after 108 years, you would have thought, okay, how is this going to fall apart? But I just, I never had that throughout that whole game. I was just sort of like, oh man, you know, David Ross hits the home run. Javi hits the home run. It's like, dude, they're doing this.
4: It's going to immediately fall apart right after they win the World Series. That's right.
1: It's, that's what the I... The dynasty
4: you're expecting, <laughs> like, just going to go poof. Don't worry that's
1: where it. the naivete was. It wasn't in <laughs> thinking... In not immediately thinking this is going to fall apart in the game, it was in not realizing it was going to fall apart after the game. Uh, society in general, everything, not just yes. not just the Cubs' ties. <laughs> the following Tuesday, that things was, was all. Whoa, I didn't specify anything in particular, Mister Mooney. <laughs> I, I I could be talking about anything. Uh, So (laughs) anyway, the (laughs) 2021 edition of the World Series is underway. Like I said, the Braves taking game one, uh, Jorge Soler hit that leadoff home run and they didn't look back from there. Uh, Certainly I think most what Astros and Braves agnostic fans are probably pulling for the Braves in this one, not wanting to see the Astros get some kind of redemption tour uh, after the 2017 win and the cheating scandal but at the same time I do see the kind of a groundswell of people like kind of thinking oh you know what it'd be nice for Dusty to get this one that that would be nice and um, I think you don't see that so much in Cubs corners because I don't think there's a lot of love lost for Dusty's time with the Cubs fair or unfair I think he's regarded among Cubs fans as the the guy who was there when they deeply disappointed and uh, I think that has stuck with Cubs fans even 20 years later with Dusty. But do, do, do you guys have any thoughts on um, what you want to see out of this World Series? You know, just as, as baseball fans, baseball writers, what's 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 the storyline stuff for you?
2: Yeah, I mean, I think you, you hit the storyline with Dusty there. I mean, that's – and I actually have had some friends text me like, do I root for Dusty or do I root uh, – like, do I root – like or do i root against the astros because they're the cheaters uh and and uh, you know and it's and like you know they they're not like as embedded in the baseball universe as, as us of course so so they don't so that's I, I think that's interesting that just like the average fan is thinking that uh and at least uh, that i've you know anecdotal evidence that i have uh yeah, I. it's interesting that you say that, Brett, about Dusty. Fans, I've noticed fans don't, like, Cubs fans don't appreciate him. You talk to Cubs media <laughs> that was around during the Dusty era. All of them have nothing but good things to say about Dusty, right? Like, they, they all loved covering Dusty. They believe he gets a bad rap in Chicago for the most part. He probably does. You know, I was a fan back then, so it's hard for me to really look at it uh, objectively. Uh, I, I see it as like, hey, maybe Dusty could have gone and, and and talked to his pitcher when, when Moises Alou was throwing a tantrum <laughs> out in left field. but uh, Or not
1: let Mark, Mark you know, Pryor that's... throw 130 freaking pitches in a blowout <laughs> earlier yes. in the series. <clears throat>
2: yes we could relitigate all of 2003 and, and get all stressed out uh once again i i know i was back then but uh dusty seems like a a, a good dude uh, in the in the general scheme of the baseball world but i don't know him well enough to really comment on that uh strongly uh i'm i'm rooting for atlanta even with the racist chants that they have in in their stadium and uh you know that that always throws me did off, you see and, and it's funny because
1: Rob Manfred's yeah. comments about that, by the way. Yeah, did, I, I feel I like don't. I had to have. So, read about it, folks. It's it, it, they're up at the Athletic if you want to read them. But like, I felt like I had to have misunderstood what he was trying to say at, because, but, but, I, see, if I did, everybody did because everybody was like, "Wait, what? <laughs> it's a regional sport, and therefore we have to honor the." chop because they have to sell tickets in atlanta what exactly are you trying to say like it was very bizarre he's
2: just saying like i don't want to deal with this i i I did the cleveland thing people (laughs) isn't that enough for you uh (laughs) so it's i mean you know the name braves isn't uh as racist it's the chop the chop is so obviously racist it's just like to me it's just like uh who who had a tweet about it? Oh, Bomani Jones, I think, is a is a Braves fan, and and he said like he was like eleven. I think he's like the same age as me. He remembers in like ninety one how he thought that chop was so cool when he was 11 years old and I did too I was like oh look at that all these fans together doing this and that's kind of a cool it sounds cool and it looks like they're all harmonious it's like that's awesome like that's got to be awesome to see and now I look back and I'm like oh man I was an idiot like that's super racist (laughs) Like I do not want my kid thinking that's cool my kid like looks at it, it like the first time he heard it he's like Wait, what's going on? What are they doing? Wait, what? They're doing that? That is not appropriate. That should be the answer
1: to everyone who wonders, like, you know, is it acceptable? Is it not? Imagine yourself explaining what they're doing and why they're doing it to a kid. Go through that. Yeah. And then you'll realize, oh, wait, this is really patronizing and bad and uh, not. Yeah, I, I I, felt I don't want to we don't have to linger on that as well. But I did think his remarks yeah. on that were odd.
4: It was very on, on point for Rob Manford though. Uh
1: because the thing I didn't understand
4: too, I mean, he moved the All Star game out of Atlanta in recognition that uh there's a society there that has multiple points of view and don't and you know, does not come uh like towards a single issue with like a monolithic opinion and I thought there were like a million other ways you could have answered it and yeah like not to link around i do think the the chant is what you know i think we all kind of grew up around the same time uh remembering the braves kind of coming out of nowhere and they were this like cool team uh you know Deion sanders the hall of fame pitchers like all of it like they were the team and you just heard the chant You you know at that point in your life had no idea. And I remember the Cubs were in Atlanta, I want to say maybe twenty nineteen, like the second series of the year. And like my first time at that new park and they start doing the chant. Like it's like the fourth game of the season, fifth game of the season. And I'm like, really? In twenty nineteen? Like we're still doing this? Like this isn't like nineteen ninety one like World Series playoff type game. Like this still goes on in their publicly funded Uh, stadium on the outskirts of the Atlanta exurbs. Like,
1: I don't know, but. Well, and just a a final thought of that. It it is not to be forgotten that it was two postseasons ago that uh, is Adam Halsey. Was that his name? Pitcher for the Cardinals who has uh, Native American heritage who himself said, hey, that ain't cool. Maybe don't do that. And so the, the Braves tried to sort of downplay it at, at a ballpark level for that series. Um, and then nothing. I, it's, I don't know. So anyway, we'll, 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 I guess, touch on that at some point in the future.
0: Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone?
3: The Old Man in the Three is the only companion podcast you'll need during the playoffs this year. Be sure to listen to The Old Man in the Three ad-free on Wondery Plus or wherever you get your podcasts.
1: Uh, so, World Series talk aside, it is always this time of year when uh, we have movement in the managerial ranks, the coaching ranks, and the front office, and you know that it's always this time of year both by virtue of the calendar, but because we always have this topic of like, oh, can they announce something today? Can they not? Is it a game day in the postseason? What's what's frowned upon? What's officially prohibited? So I, I always think about it this time of year, particularly if your team is not participating in the postseason. And obviously the Cubs have had an active uh, front office postseason already. Number of changes on the incoming and outgoing side. And I thought it worth not only documenting those for the podcast listeners who may not have read about that stuff uh, otherwise, but also you guys have been so thorough in your coverage of the front office transitions already that I thought it worth giving you guys an opportunity to talk about where we think uh, the impact will be. And uh, we've talked about new GM Carter Hawkins a bit, but he is not the only new name coming in. And also there are some transitions out. So Uh, kick that off gents, wherever you want to touch on.
2: Yeah. I mean, first of all, I'd say that I think, uh, the outside world underrates, uh, a steadying presence like Randy Bush. Uh, you know, I believe a two-time world series winner, like having an ex major league ball player in the front office is helpful. Uh, he's He's thoughtful. He's uh, I mean, he's he's a type of guy that kind of brings people together and he's very easy to work with. Uh, And and, I mean, he lasted multiple, you know, front offices. Right. And this is more just like him. It's like he's ready to kind of reduce his role, stop coming into the office, go spend some time with family out in Florida. Uh, and still be part of the organization, but not as heavily involved and in not having to be in the office as an assistant GM, right? Uh, and it, it so I, I just want to give Randy Bush his props, like one of the nicest guys I've ever met in baseball and, and just a good guy, and obviously had contributed to to multiple uh, versions of winning Cubs baseball uh, under Hendry, under Theo, and, uh, I guess not under Jed because they didn't really win a lot under Jed yet. Uh. <laughs> no, he he did. He contributed to the wins and only the wins. It was, it was yes. a weird thing. Like, somebody should have noticed.
1: When Randy's in the park, we do really well. This is we should, you know analytics should have pointed that
2: out. Uh, the and and the, stepping in as AGM is Essan Bakari. Who, uh, first of all, I want to I I made sure and I wanted to uh, make sure uh, Cubs fans know that he arrived in Houston after the sign stealing uh he was really uh, he was not there for that i was gonna
1: say we chuckled but that is that's i think that's definitely worth pointing out in fact indeed he was with the dodgers when they got screwed by the astros in the 2017 world series so he's actually a victim so he was
2: (laughs) so i mean first of all the dodgers uh one of the best uh research and development departments in baseball right I, i mean i think they roundly consider that he was part of the original group he helped build that up he was one of the first analysts, I think, whatever, R&D analysts, whatever they're called, whatever that title is that he originally had with the Dodgers. Uh, he was there. He helped build that unit up. Uh, and then he came to lead uh, R&D with the Astros when Mike Fast, uh, who if you don't know who Mike Fast is, he was hired by the uh, Astros early on, uh, I think in the, the Lanao uh, era, and uh, and he he was the guy he kind of made a catcher framing uh, mainstream. He kind of was the first public writer to to kind of bring that to the forefront. and and he he left for Atlanta. I want to say I think Mike Fass is with Atlanta and Bakari took over uh, in Houston. and then he got a promotion. And I wish I could remember the title. You think I'd remember it since I just wrote this. But uh, basically, he he got a promotion in that front office. I've heard nothing but good things about him. This is a guy that has like an education background, right? He's a he's a former professor. He was a visiting professor at University of Illinois. Uh, And you think R&D. First of all, you think, guys, a lot of R&D guys aren't very talkative. They're not engaging. Uh, that's not the case with Bakari. Everything that I've heard about him, I'm 99% sure he's a, someone I met while I was while the Cubs were in Houston two years ago. And if he's the person that I'm remembering, which I'm almost positive he is, he's he is engaging. Like for five minutes, he was very engaging and and like very talkative and and just very personable. Uh, and. <laughs> and it and from the people i've talked to since the hiring since i heard about the potential hiring and and since it's been official it, nothing but good things this guy wants to know everything about front offices he worked he didn't just stick to r&d he didn't just assume that oh model the model says this the model is right we built this model this is what it spit out we're going with this he wants to double check the processes he wants to understand the processes that uh, scouts are using, whether it's international, pro, amateur, he's he's dipped into his toes in in every little aspect of the front office, and he wants to be a more well-rounded front office member. And I mean, what it's been seven, eight years since he got into uh, baseball, and he's climbed up to assistant GM, uh, going from like uh, you know an education background to to this is pretty impressive. Uh, still a young guy. Uh, I think he's got he's clearly got a bright future ahead of him, brings two elite organizations. I mean, if you think about the two best organizations as far as success on the field, you want to you know rip the Astros for for cheating. I get that that that's a, that's a very legitimate. Uh, they've they've added so much talent uh, to that organization, and and continue to produce talent. The Dodgers speak for themselves as well with the way they produce talent. We know Jed Hoyer thinks highly of the Dodgers. Uh, he he wants to make the Cubs into the Dodgers. He wants to be able to spend, but also have financial flexibility. And then when you lose a player, uh, you instantly can can just produce another one like that guy that that steps up. Uh, i mean the fact that they had so many injuries uh, and were still almost able to make it to the world series this year uh, uh speaks to to the you know amount of talent that they're able to to develop and and put out there and and the depth that they have uh and and that's what jed hoyer wants to build i think i think that's going to be an interesting hire i'm curious to see how that impacts the front office how much say he has in in transactions i know that he did have a A decent amount I heard I didn't get any specific names but I was told that yeah he he had a hand in some significant transactions with with uh, the Astros which which that that's that's interesting uh, to know that that he's already been a part of that and I'm sure he'll 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 have a similar hand with the Cubs
4: and Brett I was curious to get your take on Jason McLeod's impending exit the guy who Uh, He the lead to my story was you know he oversaw scouting and player development when the Cubs had the number one farm system and won the World Series. Period. And I think over time, um, probably more unfair than not, he kind of had to wear the Cubs' struggles to uh, develop homegrown pitchers, and that's part of the job. Uh, I also think that there were a lot of factors. That went into that stuff that we've talked about before, whether, you know, I think Theo Epstein's fingerprints were certainly on the Cubs kind of drafting manuals and procedures when they had a very kind of narrow view of pitchers, a very conservative approach to the pitchers they selected, how they trained in the minors. I think McLeod repeatedly acknowledged those shortcomings and had you know begun with his staff as a whole to make some changes. And I think, you know, the 2018 and 2019 drafts might look pretty good if Brennan Davis and Nico Horner, Ryan Jensen, you know, DJ hers, if they kind of pop and become part of that next great Cubs team. But uh, ultimately I think, you know, he, he did the job he was hired to do. I mean, they got the parade. That's kind of what you want. And, you know, he declined an offer to kind of an unspecified offer in terms of it what he would actually be doing kind of in this reimagined front office. But I think you're Cubs are losing a guy who and this was something that was not apparent when he came in, uh, because everyone talked about his uh evaluation skills and some of those drafts with the Red Sox. But I think where he really made a mark with some of the coordinators that they hired who became uh major a major league manager, major league coaches, kind of in demand instructors. Um Kind of this idea of when it happens uh the just the the way that everyone was kind of moving in one direction, I think he did a lot to that and you know he saw his draft picks you know make a ton of plays in in the game seven in Cleveland
1: yeah, I think we have a tendency when it comes to front offices and particularly name front offices or a situation like we had at the start of the rebuild where it was all right, Theo's coming. Oh man, he's bringing Jed. Oh man, and Jed is bringing this guy, Jason McCloud. I need to find out about him. And then, oh, they're really more of like a trio. And it ends up becoming this idea where everything that then occurs thereafter is, as, is ascribed to these men, uh, good or bad. And I think that's, of course, unfair in, in large part because of what you mentioned, Mooney, that um, in the wake of their arrival, One of the things that the Cubs did organizationally that has, I think, and I will claim uh, that I have failed on this too, that we didn't talk about enough in those first five years is how good they were at developing minor league coaching and development talent. And right when they were getting to the peak of the farm system's prowess, the big league team succeeding, they got poached like crazy. I mean, it was just a total run. And of course we reported on that and mentioned it, but I think... In hindsight, it was probably, one, a huge credit to McLeod and to the others in charge that they brought in and cultivated that talent. And then it was probably very hard to sustain uh, the success at the minor league level when you are losing four or five guys uh, at the same time to various organizations. And I think it's no question, obviously, that the farm system, the development process the transitions to the big league, the development at the big league level, all of these things suffered a great deal over the last five years. And they led in part to the underperformance of the big league team, Theo's early departure, the overhaul of the player development department a couple of years ago. Uh, Theo says at Jed Hoyer's behest and whether, you know, however true that is or not, I know that we Cubs fans desperately want to believe that that's true because then you can be forward looking and be like, ah, Jed really gets it. Um, but all the while, Jason McLeod was there. And I think it, was, it became harder and harder to sort of single out, like, well, what is he responsible for? What, what can we say he gets credit for? What can we say he's, uh, he's cost the organization? Things like that. And it, it ends up sort of not mattering. I mean, I think we will always look at this era as one unit uh, of, of a thing. And in that time, the Cubs selected a whole lot of great players. They developed a whole lot of great players. They went to three straight NLCS. They won a world series largely on the strength of guys that they had drafted and developed. And uh, I I think that that's, that should stay, that should stay a credit to McLeod's contributions to this organization. Um, He was here for a decade. And, and so I, I, that's how I will think about it. And it will be impossible to separate the, the failures on the pitching development side. Um, I think they, They came in clearly with a philosophy that kind of made sense on paper. You know, you you sort of you draft and try to develop a lot of really high floor arms, and you try to tease out a little bit more from them, where your failure rate is going to be very low. Um, You know, they're going to progress through the system. They're they're going to be strike throwers, and we came to learn that uh, you know injuries, of course, still happen. And then at the big league level in the way the game developed over the last six or seven years, those types just tend not to play. And you have to take bigger risks. You have to take bigger swings. You have to get guys that have to have the really elite risky arms and then try to tease out the floor. You can't do it the other way. And, um, it took the Cubs a little too long to realize that. And the nature of development is that it is, um, you know, backlogged by several years. And so where we are now is we hope we are seeing the very start of that, uh, organizational philosophy change. I think it was in 2017 to 2018 is when they realized at a drafting and signing level, Oh, we have to make some big changes. Um, and you know, it just takes a long time for that to bear fruit. So hopefully we will. And then maybe we'll look back and we'll say uh, like you did Mooney that, Oh, well, and McLeod was a part of that for many years when the transition happened. It's just, he's no longer here. Uh, so wherever he goes, he he will continue to be a successful baseball mind because Uh, obviously he is good at a lot of what he does he has had a lot of success in three different organizations and i think he'll be remembered fondly by fans you know uh, and some things that fans
2: may overlook and obviously they're not going to know these things they're they're not privy to this stuff but when, when patrick and i talk to people around baseball who have worked with jason or worked under jason like this is a great leader this is a this is someone who is highly respected by the people that that work under him or work alongside him in the sense that it's really hard to find people that that communicate well that or, are organized that delegate well that 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 really earn the respect of the people that they're you know above he's he's both he he works really well with the people below him and the people above him, if that makes sense. Like, he's he's really good at that, which is a hard skill. I swear, like, it, it's rare in this business. When you talk to people, like, either they, they screw up some aspect of it. Either they they think they're more powerful than they actually are and, and they end up uh, – and they end up angering the people above them or or they just pay no attention to the people below them or don't give them they they're they're worried about their status. So they don't let that person below them like let this person shine. This person has a strength that I I'm a little weak in this area. This person may be below me as far as title, but let them do their thing. Let them shine. McLeod, I've heard, is just great at that. And that's one aspect, obviously in the end you want results and fans don't care about all those little things, but the people that work with them, like if you're talking about being a leader and, and having a good staff and, and communicative and collaborative, he's really strong at that. And, and that, that goes a long way. Uh, I also think that when he did take risks, when he, when, when there was no worry about like, okay, we need, we need college pitchers that can get to the big leagues faster because we have no pitchers, uh, I mean, he he did well. The one time that they really focused on that was the draft where they took Steele, uh, Cease, and Sands. Two out of three of the of the risk picks that they spent money on in later rounds was that the that may have been the, Schwarber, the Schwarber draft. draft. Yeah. If, if, yeah, using the Schwarber yeah. money. Yeah. yeah, so so Cease is a hit steel uh, you know took a little longer but had tj and and he looks like at, at worst he's a multi-inning solid uh reliever and and sands is a miss right so so you had you, you took three guys that were high upside and hit on two of them uh they just didn't do that enough right but they seem to be able to identify those guys so it's unfortunate that they didn't do it enough because it would it'd be really interesting to see that and and I think ultimately the the player development side is what bit them uh when when you you know we've gone over this over the years but ultimately the the player development changed so much and and they they kind of stuck with what they trusted when the game when when things were changing at a level that it probably has never changed as far as player development goes that rapidly and that drastically uh, it changed so much they stuck with what they knew and what they trusted and that was i mean that i guess that's proving out to be a mistake right now we'll see what happens 10 years from now how much of this you need to i think we need to find that strike the right balance too we, we need to be careful to just say like well all these uh, you know driveline trends are exactly right and and this is perfect you know you need to find the right balance of the old and new school and and some teams probably have have a better idea of it than others but you know it's it's not this perfect science still even as as much as technology has helped things uh, i think i think you need to find find a way to to mix and match so you're not you know we can just look at what the cubs have done this past season and how many pitching injuries is that because of the pandemic is that because of new uh, things that they're trying is that because they're 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 not they're being too cookie cutter with the new things they're trying and not and not being uh, individualized enough I don't know I don't know but I'll just say that it's it's you can't just assume that this new direction is a perfect direction
4: Sometimes we focus too much on the guys in polo shirts and khaki pants, but I think Dylan Cease is a worthy uh, example of something that showed kind of when the Cubs got it right and where some of those gaps may be now. I mean, it took uh, Keith Lockhart, an area scout who had played for the Braves, who's a parent in that kind of Atlanta area, travel ball circuit, kind of getting to know Dylan Cease, kind of what it would take, getting some of the medical background and ultimately kind of convincing him to sign with the Cubs. That took money that was pulled out of the kind of Kyle Schwarber slot. It took uh, pitching instruction. It took the strength and conditioning department to get him uh, bigger and stronger and ultimately kind of marketed to a place where not to go down the Jose Quintana rabbit hole, but you know that you could trade him for a guy who would pitch in the NLCS for you. And you know, Jason McLeod couldn't fix all of this. Whatever issues the Cubs have from here on out, it will not be because of his absence. But uh, he had a lot of personality traits that helped connect lots of different departments and kind of got different people on the same page. To side of his point, he's someone who can talk to owners or minor league coaches very easily. And I think some of those elements uh, have been uh, lost around the Cubs or at least kind of needs to be rewired to the point where if you do want to be the Dodgers, if you do want to be the Astros, you have to have uh, your scouting, your medical, your R&D, your major league coaching staff, your ownership, all of it kind of working in sync. And I think it's pretty clear that – the Cubs have not been at that point the last couple of years, and getting it back on track will be up to Jed Hoyer and some of these new voices he br- he's brought into the Wrigley Field front office.
1: In a way, that's as old school as it gets because it underscores the importance of just communication, just human-to-human communication communication. In success, and I think uh, I did like that. I, I can't remember where I read it. It may have been in some of your guys's fine work on the front office maneuvering. But I appreciated that for as much as uh, essen Bokari is a math guy, data guy, research, analytics, all of that, there's a heavy emphasis in his background in communication on his ability to port that, port the numbers, port the the uh, distillation of all of those. Inputs, Not just the numbers, but like the nutrition stuff, the health and wellness stuff, all of that over to other humans, not just the players, but the coaches and communicating about communication. How are we going to communicate this? How do we optimize them to get this information to people in the right ways? And I think without question, the Cubs have been thinking about that stuff for years. And so I'm not, I'm not suggesting otherwise, but, but to see that be an emphasis um, is, is heartening because I think that that's probably a, you know, especially, I, I just have a gut feeling when it comes to um, physical health. You know, we're always talking in front offices, are always talking about how the next efficiency is keeping your guys healthy, and being the organization that gets the most performance out of your guys, keeps keeping them healthy. And you just wonder the relationship between that impetus and wanting to use all of that camera work and data and stuff for like picture mechanics. How do you Manage those two courses, right? Because it might be one thing to be like, oh, here's what you need to be doing. You need to pronate more on this, blah, blah, blah. but you also have to communicate in a way that keeps those health goals in mind. And so I think, you know, getting all of that together and communicating it and managing it at an organizational level is part of what has made this era of player development so difficult and so and where you see so much stratification among organizations the ones that do it very well the ones that don't i would bet dollars to donuts you know that virtually every organization has the data now they have the cameras they have all of that it's the ability to combine that with so many other organizational directives and then port it over to players and performance on the field
2: yeah i think i think it was gabe kapler that had a quote in one of those uh pieces written about the, their coaching staff and why things work the giant why business. they've been able to maximize yeah why they've been able to maximize their talent uh and and basically it's like it's not like we have anything any information that others don't everyone has the ability to get this information it's how you relay it it's how you use it it's how you you know this isn't this isn't anything i'm not breaking anything here right when i say that it's like we, we've always we should know this it's you can have all the information uh that you you can possibly gather right It. it every team should be able to get the information it's how you use it it's it's how you uh, distribute it and, and it's really like are you able to i mean it's what you were saying brett and that's like collaboration just because we talk about different departments just because there's player development r&d uh amateur scouting pro scouting um uh high performance which is a huge thing now as well all of those things, if they're not working together and in conjunction in some way, they may be, they're doing completely different things. But they need to be able to to combine that stuff to get to the end goal of producing these elite players that they can perform at their best, right? And and that's the really hard equation to figure out how like how much of this and that and the other do you need to make it work and how do you combine it all and that's what when we talk about connectors in a front office that's what you really need people that are able to communicate people that aren't thinking well this guy's trying to take my job you can't have any of that stuff or someone that's just in it to get a promotion right you can't have that stuff it's not going to work if that's your if that's your goal unless your goal has to be like how can we make this all work how can we connect everything to make it work and what's the right formula for this for us to
1: make it work all right so that's where we'll leave it and we will be back at you next week with aunt waveland the podcast here about the cubs we'll also get into uh the world series which will have wrapped at that point and thus we will have kicked off a gosh it's another gonna be another weird off season Uh, i was gonna be like oh it's gonna be such a uniquely different offseason but man it's been like three in a row that have been you know oh well this is why it's going to be so unique so you know stay tuned we'll get into why it's going to be a weird one this time around next week but i think you already know cba and uh we look forward to getting into all of those super exciting uh topics (laughs) i mean it is fun. fun changes in the cba are fun to talk about rule changes organizational structural changes it's just that the the pissing back and forth is coming and I'm not looking forward to that at all. But until then, we hope you have a good rest of your week and appreciate you listening and subscribing wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Brett Taylor. You can read my stuff at Bleacher Nation. That's of Sharma and Patrick Mooney. Get theirs at The Athletic and we'll talk to you soon. Take care.